What a sweet time of worship. Thank you, worship ministry, for leading us. I just about got hoarse, Terry, singing, so I feel sorry for Ken standing next to me, but I was, man, I was letting it fly. I tell you what, if I can get that excited at a football game, how much more can I get excited in God's house when we're worshiping him? Amen. Come on. Some have more reasons to be excited than others, and um, I'm so glad that UT won. Here, let me tell you why I'm so glad. That's why I'm glad. It, it, it makes a palpable difference on Sunday morning if those stinking longhorns would win. So win, boys, win. Oh, I felt bad for my Auburn Tigers lost in the last second of the game, but I'm not bitter. I'm over it. I'm over it. Well, today I, I'm so excited as I get to preach God's Word to you. And uh, my name is Danny Forshee, by the way, and uh, I'm the pastor here at Great Hills. Thank you, Greg Bennett, for welcoming us earlier. Thank you, Ross, for baptizing Katie. Uh, such a blessing. What a testimony. It's a beautiful testimony of the collaborative efforts of the church, reaching out to the ones and seeing them come to faith in Christ and baptizing them. And now let's help Katie as she grows and becomes a disciple of Christ who will lead other people. Uh, to the Lord. And Bill and Allison and their testimony, what a, what a beautiful thing it is. So we are in a series of messages here at Great Hills. If you're new, if you're a guest, uh, we're calling it For the One. And it's a passage of Scripture in Luke 15:4 uh, that teaches us that our Lord, our King, He was always about the one. In fact, He used the analogy of a good shepherd is somebody who will leave the 99 and safe sheep and he will go out in the highways and the byways of life and he will seek that one struggling sheep that is in a precarious or a difficult situation and bring that sheep into the fold. Of course, we live in Austin, Texas and there are all kinds of sheep meandering around in the warp and woof of life and they need hope, they need the gospel and they need what we have to offer. And so thank you, church. I, I tell you, this week I counted four uh, specific instances where you let me know whether through text or through uh, actually two of them I actually heard with my own ears as I was listening to our church members going out where they work, where they live, where they play, where they stay, and they're inviting people to Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I'm talking about not just inviting them to Great Hills, but you, many of you are literally sharing the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends, and it is a beautiful thing to behold. And I'm telling you, nothing excites a pastor more than that, to hear that we are together and that we are going out presenting a witness for Christ. So thank you. Oh, I commend you. I applaud you. Uh, and I just want to thank you. So today we're going to look at a study in Mark chapter 10 called the rich young ruler. He is the one. He is the one that Jesus Christ will pursue and share life with. And he is the one that Christ will invite. Come, sell all that you have and take up your cross and follow after me. All three synoptic gospel writers record this amazing interview, if you will, this dialogue with this rich young ruler. It's, it's recorded in Matthew 19 and Luke 18. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10 and his version of the account, the true story. And I'm going to read it for you in, math, in Mark 10, 17 through 27. Then here's what we're going to do. We're going to do like a textual study. We want to 
kind of walk through the text. And I hope you brought your pencil or pen or your notepad or your iPad or your smartphone or whatever it is you use to take notes and maybe jot down some things that, that the Lord has showed me that I can show you so that you can show somebody else, right? And so that's that reproduction and discipleship. So I wanna share with you a textual study and then just some, like three basic principles that we can glean from this text and ask God, the Spirit of God, to penetrate our hearts and our minds so that it's not just a cognitive, theological, doctrinal, orthodoxy kind of enterprise, but it's something that moves from our minds and it penetrates to our hearts so that it literally impacts the way that we live. And that's, that's my prayer. So let me, let me pray that for us. Oh God, thank you for today. Thank you for the time we have to worship you. We don't take it for granted. Lord, you told us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, our minds and our strength. And Holy Spirit, we have invited you, we have sung about you, and now we ask you to teach us. Lord, I, I really believe that great preaching and teaching is when the people hear another voice. So I pray, God, they hear your voice, the voice of the Spirit, making direct application of the sacred text to their lives, Lord, wherever they are, whatever they're dealing with. And so many, God, are dealing with so much. And for some today, God, to be in church is a mighty miracle within itself. And we are grateful, God, so grateful that everybody's here, that everybody brings their hurts and their hopes and their aspirations and they, and they want to meet you, God. We wanna connect with you, God. We, we don't need man's philosophy and, and man's uh, ideology, but God, we need your word. We need you, God, to speak to us. So would you do that? Through your sacred text, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here it is, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running. All these words, by the way, are just absolutely important. Not only did he come, but he came running, kneeling before Jesus, and he asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, God, by the way, guys, just, just keep this in mind. Jesus he knows, okay? He just knows. He knows this guy even before this guy knows that Jesus knows him. Jesus knows his background. Jesus knows what's going into his life. And so Jesus, he just kind of, he, he puts aside the, uh, the niceties of the dialogue, if you will. And he just goes right to the heart of the matter. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, and that is God. And then Jesus doesn't back up. He just keeps moving with this guy. Even though this guy is humble, he's kneeling, he's rich, he's young, he is successful. And, and he said, oh, how do I get eternal life? And good teacher. And, and Jesus says, you know, the commandments. And then Jesus lists the six practical ethical commandments of the Decalogue. Jesus does not start with the first four. You shall have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Do not take my name in vain and remember the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't do those because he's already breaking those. <laughs> so Jesus starts where he is. So you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and he said, oh, teacher, I, all of these things 
I have kept from my youth. So Jesus looking at him loved him. Now you got to really catch hold of that. If you miss that, then you'll think, well, Jesus was just overly harsh and polemical toward this man. That's not the case. Jesus goes directly to the heart of the matter because Jesus knows what's going on in this rich, young person of authority. But Jesus loved him and he said, oh, one thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up your cross and, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful. And the reason he did was because he had so many uh, possessions. Then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, and here's a teachable moment. Jesus is talking to this guy. The disciples are kind of on the periphery and they're watching and they're looking at him. And so Jesus, he, he moves his attention away from the rich young ruler who walks away. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and he said to them, children, how hard it is. And then Jesus gives an elaboration, an explanation on what he just said earlier. How hard it is for those who trust, are you with me? Those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel, and we know what camels are. They had camels back then, we got camels today. Those are some creatures, right? Those are some large creatures, those humpbacks and big old knocking heads. I mean, those are some creatures and they're huge. And Jesus said, it's easier for one of those creatures to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, it says, and they were astonished. What does verse 26 say? They were parasites. They had moved from just being astonished. Now they are abundantly, amazingly astonished. And so they said among themselves, well, my land, who then? Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, and I, I tell you, Great Hills, this is such a powerful, awesome passage of Scripture. And what a word of promise. Jesus said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, let's all read this together. With God, all things are possible. Let's say it again. For with God, all things are possible. When it says all things, do y'all know what that means? You got it. Amen. So the textual study, let's just walk through it. You may want to jot down some notes. We'll begin in verse 17. The man that comes to Jesus, G. Campbell Morgan describes him in this way. And it's an accurate way to describe him. Number one, he says he's discernible. This young man has discernment because he approaches Jesus and recognizes him as a good teacher. And Jesus was that. Absolutely is way more than that, but at least he was a good rabbi teacher, so the man is discernible. Number two, he's courageous. He said, what's so courageous about this young man approaching Jesus? Well, Jesus is now in his third year of his ministry. His ministry has been described as year one as a year of obscurity. <clears throat> year two as a year of popularity. But year three as a year of hostility. And so the rich young ruler 
approaches Jesus in the third year when most of the people are being now hostile toward Jesus, and yet this guy doesn't care about that. He comes, he discerns that Jesus is a good teacher, and he's courageous, and he comes. And number three, he's very humble. He kneels. He literally kneels down before Jesus. Number four, he's honest. And he tried to keep the commandments. He said, I, all of these commandments, I, I've, I've kept those six you just mentioned. I'm just being honest with you now. I'm, I'm being religious, Jesus. I, I've kept those since my youth, he says, which would have been probably about since he was 12 years of age because that's when they were required to start keeping the law. And the last thing is he was unfulfilled because he asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he, he's got the world and he's got the possessions and the wealth and the prestige and he's a ruler. We don't know what he's ruling. Maybe a little territory, a, a little geographical space, or maybe he's a ruler of a local synagogue. I, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but he's rich, he's young, uh, he's successful. And yet he comes with all of that to meet with Jesus Christ. In verse 18, Jesus engages him by asking him a question. He says, why do you call me good? There's no one who's good but God alone. Now, you understand what Jesus is not doing. He is not questioning his deity. He's not questioning his sinlessness. Because when you read in the other parts of the Bible, it says in John 3, 16, people say, where does it say in the Bible that Jesus is the Son of God? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the Son of God. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I, I am. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is not a person with an identity crisis, right? I know who I am. I am God's son. I've come to save this earth. So what is Jesus doing here when he engages this man by saying, don't, you know, don't, don't call me good. There's, there's only one that is good. Well, I've done a little bit of research on this and I want to share a couple of quotes and I, I hope this helps you. My evangelism professor, Dr. Roy Fish said this, what was Jesus saying here? Jesus was trying to get the one who asked to recognize him as God. Jesus said, essentially, I am not good if I am not God. Don't compliment me like this unless you admit that I am God. And John Calvin, by the way, interpreted the verse the same way. William Lane says these words, in calling into question the man's use of good, Jesus' intention is not to pose the question of his own sinlessness or oneness with the Father, no, not at all, but to set in correct perspective the honor of God. Because this man is deeply dishonoring God, not in the ethical dimensions of the Ten Commandments, but in the vertical, the pure theological dimensions of the Ten Commandments, and he has violated egregiously violated the first of all commandments. You shall have no other God before me. And Jesus knows that. And so now Jesus is just probing and he's questioning this man and making this man think. Verse 19 and 20, he quotes those six of the 10 commandments. And he says, I've kept them since my youth. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Remember that? 
And Jesus told him what he had to do. I love you so much, sir, that I'm willing to tell you the truth. Go and sell all of your possessions. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, this was a problem. This man had lots of possessions. His God was the God of materialism, of wealth. And what goes along with that? The prestige and the status and the ease that comes with those things. And that man is bringing all of this to Jesus. And basically, here, here's how it's going to go down. Jesus says, that's your God. Remove that God. Let me be your God. And the man said, no, no, I can do a lot, but I refuse to do that. And the Bible says he walks away having rejected the Lord. I love this part where Jesus says, take up your cross, come, come to me, sell those possessions. Now, I don't know of any other time in the Bible where Jesus witnesses quite like this. You know, Jesus deals with everybody differently. With the woman at the, you know, caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Zacchaeus, hey, come down out of the tree and let me come into your home. Let me come into your life and, and I will change you. And Zacchaeus did. The woman at the well did. The woman in John 8 did, called in adultery. I mean, but with this guy, Jesus uses a whole new paradigm. He goes directly to what's this man's God. Now, your God may not be wealth. Your God may be another person. Your God may be a substance. Your God may be a habit, habit or a hobby, and Jesus tells you and he tells me, whatever that habit is, whatever that hobby is, whatever that fame is, whatever that wealth is, whatever it is that you are worshiping, you've got to give that up and come follow me. And we have a choice. We can do that. We cannot do that. And we have free will, and God has created us with a free will. He's put eternity in our hearts, but we're not automatons. We're not robots. He gives us a choice, and this man made a choice. It's not that he didn't understand. He understood all too well. So like Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that trouble me greatly. Real salvation is transformation. Idols are kicked off the throne of our lives and Jesus becomes our king. Verse 22, the man was sad. He had great possessions. In my notes here, it says, all other gods make terrible gods, but him. The gods of wealth, the gods of materialism, the gods of idolatry, the gods of habit and hobby and passion, the God, all those other gods lead us to emptiness and they lead us to an eternity apart from God. And that's why Jesus interrupts. He comes face to face with this young man. Hey, don't forget this. The young man is kneeling. He's humble. He's courageous. He's, he's religious and he's, he's empty. And he's asking, oh, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus Christ loved him, loved him. He loved him. He loved him so much that he told him what? The truth. Do you have anybody like that in your life? You, you have a parent or a grandparent or a pastor or a Bible teacher that absolutely loves you so much 
that he or she is willing to offend you so that you will be eternally blessed, then you are blessed. Verse 23, note what Jesus Christ did not do. Okay? Come, take up your cross. Oh, sell those possessions and come, follow me. And the guy says, uh, no, thanks, but no thanks. And he walks away. And Jesus did not do this. Whoa, hey, 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 buddy, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, hold on a second. I, 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 maybe I was just a little too rough, too harsh. And so, come on, let, let's just sit down, let's just, let's just talk about that. And Jesus didn't do that. And I read where one person said, how many pastors would do that because that man is wealthy? And that man can put some money in the offering plate. And that man can help you with your church debt. And that man can make life a little easier in the church. I mean, go after that guy. Water it down, brother, if you have to water it down. For heaven's sakes, the guy's got money. And Jesus didn't do that. He let him, he let him go. So unlike Zacchaeus, we, we talk about Zacchaeus. He was wealthy. And he said, Lord, I, I give all that stuff away. I, I, I give half of my goods to the poor and I'll restore people fourfold how I have misled them and, and, and frauded and cheated them. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. You're a son of Abraham because the son of man has come to seek, to save the lost. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in verse 24 when he said these powerful words. And this is the New Living Translation, and hear it, please. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You know, wealth is not the problem if we possess it. The problem is when wealth possesses us. And, and the characteristic of a person that wealth has possessed, it's their God. And all the accoutrements that go with wealth, the fame, the prestige, the car, the house, the what, whatever. But the person who possesses wealth, it's not their God. And in fact, they're like a channel, a conduit, and their hands are open, and they're like, God, thank you for blessing me. How can I bless somebody else? How, how can I use what, God, you have given to me? And here's a little secret. Here's something that I've found through my life. At those people that are wealthy and they are blessed, the more they bless others, the more God blesses them. That is so amazing. We're blessed to be a blessing. We shared with our mentor group, on Wednesday night, we talked about this text. We said, Jesus said, it's, it's a lot better to give than to receive. And godly, wealthy people, they get that. And I appreciate that about them. And they will testify. They will say, man, the pastor really telling the truth because the more I give, God just, he just keeps on blessing. I don't give so that, hey, 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 where is it, Lord? Bring it, bring it, bring it on. Money, 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 money. Come on. No, I don't. That's not why I do it. I do it because I want to bless people. I want to encourage people. I want to give that which I have been given. And God loves a, anybody remember that verse? A cheerful giver. That's right. 
So verse 25, Jesus now uses an illustration. He's, he's amazing at this. He, he always seems to say the right thing, use the right analogy. He said it would be easier for a, <laughs> a big old camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, I know scholars debate the eye of the needle. Is it a gate that the, that the camel has to get underneath to get into the city? The people I read, they said, no. The eye of a needle is an eye of a needle. You thread the needle, that little bitty opening so that you can do your sewing. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, how in the world can you fit this thousand pound behemoth beast of a camel into that? Well, it's impossible. And Jesus said, exactly. If you are worshiping money, trusting money as your God, you will not go to heaven. That's just what he said. And Jesus speaks truth, but he speaks it in love. Now the disciples are amazed. They're astonished in verse 24 and they're parasos in verse 26. They're greatly astonished, so much so. They're like, who, who, who can be saved? My, my God may not be money, but my God may be this. And I believe the disciples are really processing this going, wow, heaven's gonna be really small. Because <laughs> you know, we're all worshiping something. And yet Jesus says, listen to me, it's possible because with God, all things are possible. God, God can take the idol in your life and he can move it out and he can enthrone himself as the king of your heart, but he won't force himself. Somebody said, Jesus is a gentleman. He waits till he's invited. <laughs> and when you invite him into your life, it's a beautiful thing. And whatever that God is, listen, the God is what you're passionate about. It's what controls you. For some, it's, it's pornography. I'm just, just going to be real. You just, it's got you. It's got you. For others, it is another habit or a hobby or a passion or a person or a relationship. Listen, the devil will give you anything. He'll give you anything or anybody and make it just so that you're like, I cannot live without this. And Jesus says, you have to, you have to believe in me that what, mm, 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 that what I give you is better than what the devil gives you. And that's the deception in the United States of America and Europe. The enemy has convinced scores and millions, if not billions of people that what the enemy can give far exceeds some duty bound bloody religion that makes you go to church, that makes you give your life away. No, 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 you listen, you don't want that. Party, be free, uh, you know, sexual revolution. I mean, just look, look what I give you. Isn't that, isn't that more tasty? Isn't that pleasant? Isn't that luscious? And there's this God over here saying, no, I, I, well, take your choice. I'm just, can I just be real with y'all just a minute and offend somebody when I say, what the devil has to give you will take you to hell. And what Jesus gives you will take you to heaven. Okay, that's it. Y'all have a good afternoon, all right? <laughs> That's it. Well, let me, let me start, let me, let me share just a couple of lessons of application with you. Number one, not everybody you witness to will be saved. But some of you are going, Whew. man, 
man, I needed to hear that. Because I've been sharing with people. I've been inviting them to Jesus and to church. And, and I, I tell you, Pastor Danny, they just say no. They told Jesus no. And here's a prime example of somebody who rejected the very Son of God in the flesh. When, when, you, when you grasp this truth, it will totally nullify the fears of failure and the fears of rejection because Jesus experienced both. Now, let me explain. If you judge success, that every time you witness to somebody, they bow down, they pray the sinner's prayer, and they become Christians. If that's your barometer of success, then Jesus was a failure. Because not only did the guy say no, the guy actually said, no, thank you, I'm keeping my God. The God of wealth and possessions and all that goes with that will forever be enthroned upon my heart. Even though you're a good teacher, even though you've got a lot of good things to say, Jesus, I reject you because I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And we would say, wow, then Jesus was a failure because the man rejected him and walked away. But that's not true, is it? Jesus wasn't a failure. Jesus was obedient. And when you're obedient and when I'm obedient, it doesn't matter if they curse us, if they take our card, like the lady did with me one time. She goes, no, thank you. Put that card back in my face. I'm not, no. I'm not, no, I'm not coming to your church. I ain't going to nobody's church. And then I could have just put my head down and just go, woe is me, poor little me. No, that's, I mean, they rejected Jesus. And so they reject us. I hope that helps you actually. Number two, speak the truth in love. Jesus loved him. We're not the arbiters of the message. It's not our job to make it palatable or easy for people. We we have to share the truth, the fact. The fact of the matter is we all got gods. We all got idols and, and the devil deceives all of us. And if we will believe and repent and turn to Christ, then God, the Holy Spirit comes in. He cleanses us. He satisfies us. He gives us a new life, a new purpose, a new reason to live. Speak the truth in love, but it can be hard. I was teaching in um, College Station. There's a little university there, I think. Somebody told me there's a school there in uh, College Station. And that's why I was there. I was there to teach a lot of these students about uh, evangelism. And so we were at Central Baptist Church. It was a great church there. Ross and Tanya's uh, family, Wes and Bethany, are on staff there. And this was before their time. In fact, it was, I think, the college pastor at that time invited me and had a packed room of, of college students. And I was there to share with them about witnessing and, and taking the gospel here in Bryan, Texas, and College Station and go with Jesus. And, man, I was all fired up and excited. I got there the night before, and I checked into the Hilton Garden Inn. You can check it out, it's right there on the main thoroughfare. Got up the next morning, you know, and, and we went to the gym and I was working out and, and had a good workout and I walked by the front desk and smoke was billowing out from the front desk. I was like, what in the world? And the guy behind the counter, he was, he was freaking out. He was panicking going, oh, and I was like, sir, I said, um, that smoke, is, is there, is that just like a fire? Is this legit? He says, yes. I'm calling 911. I said, 
I said, I just came from the gym. There are a bunch of people in the gym. They're working out. They're oblivious to the fire. Do, do I need to go tell them? Yes, go tell them. And I started getting nervous. I'm like, okay, if I go tell them, what if the whole thing burns up, you know? And I was like, so I come running down there. I open up the door and I run into that room full of people working. And they're doing all their stuff, right? And I said, guys, there's a fire. This is legit. Y'all need to leave. And this couple, this husband and wife, he was on this treadmill. She was on this treadmill and they looked at me like, they were so mad at me. I mean, they were disgusted with me like, what, what are you? They just kept on exercising. I thought, well, I'm just trying to get the fire out of your life. I mean, God, just, and so I just left them and I took off and I ran. I was like, I've done my duty. And I'm going, sure enough, everybody was evacuated and uh, the, the fire and the police, they all came. and. And I thought about that, you know, it's sometimes speaking the truth in love, people still reject it, still reject it. Last thing I want to share with you, and I want to end on a positive note, because this, this is an amazing text. With God, all things are possible. I was studying this text uh, uh, yesterday, I was studying it again today, and and I got this little word for you I want to share with you. The results are entirely up to God, but the choice to obey is entirely up to us. With God, all things are possible. God can save anybody. Norm Miller is the, he was the founder and the leader of Interstate Batteries. Today, he's current chairman of the board. And I think I read where his son now is leading interstate uh, batteries. Norm Miller tells his testimony, and, and I'm just going to read some of this to you, and I, I hope as you listen, you, you, you will do two things. You will say, number one, nobody is beyond the arm of the grace of God, no matter how far they may appear to be. And Norm Miller says this, well, I say that I came to Christ under duress I realized that I had become an alcoholic and all of the life trappings I acquired were no longer satisfying to me. I was an empty person. As I was reading his testimony, I was thinking about Louis Zamperini. When I encourage you to see the new movie, uh, Unbroken Path to Redemption. And Louis Zamperini was a lot like Norm Miller. He, he was absolutely dominated with alcohol. And this movie brings it out. I mean, it brings it out. He is enslaved to alcoholism, and so was Norm Miller. He says, I was anxious with the fear of failure. It was around that time that a friend of mine said, Norm, you need to read the Bible. It's God's Word, and it's the truth. So I did. Then I simply asked God, prove me. Prove to me that your Word is true. He said, then I ran into Galatians 5.22, and it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And he said, God, those are the very things I want, especially joy and peace. Circumstances really didn't make any difference if I could have those things. So if this was the fruit of the Spirit, I wanted to know how I could get it. And then I read Matthew 7, 7, where it says, seek and you shall find. And I said, God, I'm a seeker, and your word says that I shall not may find 
from there, I went on to discover that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I learned that I was a sinner separated from God because of my own behavior and my own faults. And I knew I was a sinner, even though I knew I was a sinner without reading the Bible, he said. <laughs> but I knew it in my heart. So May of 1974, I prayed and I received Jesus Christ and I have never been the same. He also explains his testimony with these words. Alcohol is not the only thing that can enslave a person. It enslaved me. But you, you may be the prisoner of something else. That something else may be gambling. I know guys who cannot get through one week without laying down serious money. Their lives are out of control and they're miserable and they're hooked. They're hooked. Well, how about drugs or pornography or even food or tobacco? My point here is not to preach or lay a guilt trip on anybody. It's just that I believe a lot of people can point to, uh, it's like he's reading the story of the rich young ruler. Listen, listen to this explanation from this powerful layman, like a lay preacher, Norm Miller. It's just that I believe a lot of people can point to some area of their lives where they're not free. They're caught up in a life-wrecking compulsion. Something else is in control. When I was drinking, for instance, I never meant to get drunk so much, but I always did. The stuff had me. You know, with me? It had me, and I was not free until he came, and I gave him my life. In Jeremiah 32, 17, says these words. And I want you, Great Hills, I want you, to, I want you to see it and taste it and believe it. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing, nobody, nothing is too hard for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we enter into a time of prayer and just really contemplating the, the truth of God's Word, what we have heard today in this, this very powerful story. It's a familiar story, is it not? The rich, young person of authority. He doesn't have, you know, just a great ending where he kneels, he receives Jesus, he's born again, the Spirit of God comes in, and man, his life is changed. He becomes a disciple who makes more disciples. That's not what happened. In fact, that's his reaction is the more common reaction. But thanks be to God that that wasn't your reaction. <laughs> that wasn't my reaction because of the sovereign, awesome grace of God visited us, saved us, changed us. And now he tells us to go be his bearers of light and give the message, Great Hills Baptist Church, for the one, for that person who will come into your path. Oh, but Pastor Danny, I, I get so nervous, I don't know what I'll say. They might reject me, or I may just be a colossal failure. So what? So what? Quit listening to the devil. That, that's him speaking. If you can read, and if you can remember John 3, 16, man, you, you are, you're, on, you're all good. You're on your way. The results are up to God, but the obedience is up to us. 
Maybe you're here today and like a Norm Miller, a Louis Zamperini, a rich young ruler, whoever you are, and it, it may not be money. It may be money. It may not be gambling. It may be pornography. It may be a habit, a hobby, a person, a passion. I don't know what your God is, but I do know this. All gods make terrible gods except Jesus Christ. And I, I'm imploring you today. If you're here today with the sound of my voice, you're listening on live stream or however you're getting the medium of this message, that you would believe on Christ and trust that what God has to offer far exceeds what the world, the devil, and the flesh have to offer. Now, listen, I can't do this for you. I can, I can lead you to the living water, but I can't drink it for you. You have to drink. You have to believe. You have to receive. You have to step out in faith. You say, and some of you are under conviction. And some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. If I do this, if I do this still, man, my life's going to change. I mean, my marriage is going to change. My, my job is going to change. I mean, there's going to be lots and lots of change in my life. If I, if I really receive Christ and, and dethrone the idols of my life and I, and I really surrender unto him, oh, my life is going to look a lot different. And yes, it will. And I implore in you, if I thought it'd do any good, I'd get on my hands and knees and beg you because here's what's at stake. Not only your earthly life of love, joy, and peace, but your eternal life. Your eternal life is at stake. Whether you will worship the God's pleasure and self or will you worship the God who created you. I invite you today with all that is within me to believe, <laughs> receive, repent, come to Jesus. Father, I'm praying, Lord, with all that I am, I'm praying. I don't know who he is, Lord, but he's probably here. He's probably here. He's enslaved. And those demons, Lord, are racking his heart and his mind. He's got a lot of people fooled, but he has not fooled you. And I don't know, Lord, if this is his last chance. I don't know, but I pray that he treats it like it is. He would come, Lord, humbly, broken, asking God for forgiveness. Lord, let him come. Let him come today. For some of you, that's going to be your first step, and that's going to be the biggest step of your life. That's a step. Listen, listen to this. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, I couldn't wait to tell you this. Listen to this. Coming to Jesus is not a step into darkness. It's a leap into the light. The light. The devil and his demons are doing everything in their power to hold you down. You may even have somebody in your family who is, who is abetting your addiction or they are feeding you the lies. And yet Jesus Christ in this moment is going to be more. He's going to be more powerful than all the voices of hell combined. So come, receive Christ today. I mean, I implore you, I beg of you, some, it could very well be. This is it. This is the line, and you need to cross it. I, I pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for our people. Lord, thank you for them. Thank you for how the two guys, I read their testimony, I heard their testimony. Thank you, Lord, for Zahaya sharing with those people yesterday. Thank you, God, for the ones that we're witnessing to. Help us, help us not to back up. God, hell never takes a vacation. Help us not to back up. Help us keep pressing in, Lord, sharing the gospel, loving people, telling them the truth. 
Lord, we love you. We, we humble ourselves before you. We pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. God bless you as you stand. And some of you wanna come down this, this aisle, one of these aisles here, we've got a bunch of them. We've got a big altar. We got some people with some big hearts that will welcome you. We will not go judge you. We're not going to condemn you. We're going to say welcome to the family of God. Listen, we, we will help you with a many a step. But that first step, you have to take the very first step. You, you with me? Watch me. Aren't you with me? Make sure everybody can see me. You take that first step, and it's like the wind of the Spirit goes, and you come, <laughs> and you come, and one of these pastors, one of these ministers will take you by the hand and say, way to go. God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. Terry, you lead us, and we'll come.